This is Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. I am Amber McCrary, host of Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. Our podcast focuses on Indigenous writers and their writing journeys. In this episode, we will be speaking with a few allies and friends of Abalone Mountain Press. Content warning, there is some explicit language in this episode. Today, I am speaking with Ryan Green, Mary Hope Lee, and Claudia Nunez de Abieta from Fuck If I Know Books and Cartanera Collective. According to Entropy Magazine, Fuck If I Know Books is a Phoenix-based, Phoenix-focused publishing project that creates collaboratively designed, handmade, limited-run books by undersung local authors and artists. For this podcast, I wanted to highlight Fuck If I Know Books, um just because they are so great with creating community here in the Phoenix area. And, you know, they're part of this wonderful community that is flourishing in Phoenix that is um, publishing, bookmaking, and just representing unrepresented voices that you might not hear in other spaces. So I just really wanted... um, you know, just to talk with Ryan and Claudia and Mary about, you know, where they first started from, how they met, and where they are now with, you know, um, their bookmaking and their translation, their translation. Um, but yeah, and it, I'm really great, um, grateful to call them my friends and, I'm excited to share that uh, I will be producing one small zine with uh, Fuck If I Know Books, or as we call it, FIC, and it should be coming out within the next month. It's super tiny, but, you know, it's it's a small poem about eh and uh, family. It's a collage, one tiny collage zine, and... Uh, my poem will be up on the website soon and, uh, the audio version as well and the actual like visual version. So if you're interested in that, um, check it out on fic.com. I'm probably getting the wrong, um, address. Oh, it's actually ficbooks.org and I will have that website up on, um, on our podcast website as well. So here is my interview with Fuck If I Know Books. Hello, welcome to Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. We are excited to have Claudia, Mary Hope, and Ryan as our guests today from Fuck If I Know Books. If you could please state your name and role within Fuck If I Know Books. Thank you for having us, Amber. My name is Claudia Nunez de Vieta, and I am one of the co-conspirators at Fuck If I Know Books. Thank you, Amber. Uh, I, too, am a conspirator. This is Mary Hope Lee uh, with Fuck If I Know Books, co-conspirator. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'm Ryan Green, another one of the co-conspirators here at Fuck If I Know Books. Cool. Thank you. It's nice to meet all of you. And we are also doing this podcast um, in my Abalone Mountain Press office here in downtown Phoenix. And we all are social distancing and making sure we're wearing our masks. So hopefully the sound quality is still okay, even though we are wearing our masks. Um, Yeah. My first or second question is, how did... You all meet. This is Mary Hope. We all met through the Cardboard House Press Cartonera Collective, uh, a very life-changing event. 
Yes, we started um, working out of Palaura's bilingual bookstore in their location on McDowell when the Cardboard House Press Cartonera Collective came together in 2018. In March of 2018, so three years. Yeah, and as Mary Hope says, a life-changing event, I think, for most of us, but I know I can say for the three of us in particular because it's led to so many wonderful collaborations uh, with the Cartonera as well as outside of it as we are here to talk about. Um, yeah, I think that that was just such a special moment to sort of all fall into community-based bookmaking through the Cartonera Collective. For some context, the Cardboard House Press is a nonprofit publisher of Spanish language literature in translation. So all of their books were originally written in Spanish, but then are published bilingually in English and Spanish. Some portion of the books that are published each year um, are produced by hand in community-based workshops, which are called the Cartonera Collective. And so we met at the, the first of the Cartonera Collective meetings in Phoenix, and then you know, have been doing that together for the past three years. And like Claudia said, it's led to so much more. And still we have so much, you know, that we owe to the Cartonera Collective. We use their paper cutters to cut our books. We've received a lot of support um, in all sorts of ways, tangible and intangible from them. So yeah, what a special way to meet. Yeah, that's actually really funny because I remember uh, you guys were having like a workshop at the Palabras when it was on McDowell. And like, I think I was just visiting Chawa and I like randomly sat down <laughs> and I started doing like the book binding or I think it was the cross, uh, the saddle stitch yeah. and on like the books. And I was just like sitting there and doing it. And then like Ryan came up to me and was like, hi, like super nice. And like asking like, like what I like, uh, or he was just kind of explaining like how to how to put the books together and I was like okay cool so I was just like sitting there doing that and he's like so what do you do do you write and I was like yeah and that's when Chawa came out and she like introduced us and <laughs> it's so funny um, but yeah that's I remember just like randomly sitting down <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's it's a really great uh, collective and do they have a physical location no. Um, yeah, we, we don't. Okay. We, I don't know whether she's talking to the mic or not, but... Uh, so the Cartonera Collective does not have a physical location at various points during its existence. Under the formal name of Cartonera Collective, it's existed in Phoenix, New York, and Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Currently, the Phoenix Collective is the only one that is still operational, sort of. I mean, we're in hiatus mode because of... Uh, the pandemic, but occasionally just a couple of us are, have been getting together to fill out inventory, you know, when we need to stock up on more books. So, um, but no, the paper cutters live in my closet and under my bed and <laughs> it's, it's itinerant. We go where we can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very cool. Well, we hope that, you know, they continue and that They'll have workshops here in the in the um, space we have out here. Yeah. All right. So my next question is, how did Fuck If I Know Books begin? I'm sorry. I'll talk again. <laughs> so Fuck If I Know Books began at the old Palabras I guess Palabras 2.0 that was in McDowell. Um, but yeah, I, I was going through a little bit of a time of feeling not super well mental health wise and was looking for something to cheer me up. I'm a translation nerd and a book nerd and wanted to make a book with a friend. And so I reached out to Chawa um, to ask if she'd be open to making a bilingual version of her zine, uh, a zine out of her poem, America, You've Got a Lot of Work to Do. Um, and so in sort of a roundabout way, that poem is in conversation with this anthology edited by a really incredible poet and bookmaker and just, I don't know, 
community firecracker, um, Nicole Cecilia Delgado in Puerto Rico. In any case, that poem that Chawa read felt really special to me, and I wanted to, to work on doing a little zine with her and also get some practice translating into Spanish. I, I do a lot of literary translation, but mostly from Spanish into English. And so it was exciting to think about working with a friend to translate into Spanish and into her Spanish, you know, what would feel like an honest way for the poem to sound to her in Spanish. Um, and so we started working on it. Luckily, she said yes, she was open to it. And when I asked her, well, what should we call this thing? She, she said, well, fuck if I know. And so then it became, all right, well, I guess it's fuck if I know volume one. Um, and there wasn't a clear plan of how things would <laughs> proceed from there, but over the last couple years, that was in summer of 2019, so I guess for the last year and a half, coming up on two years, um, slowly by slowly have been working with different friends, many of whom um, were from the Cartanera Collective, but um, yeah, now, now we have more and more and more books emerging. Yours is coming next. We're so excited. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's where it began with a shrug, <laughs> Chawa's wonderful shrug, like if I know. <laughs> that's so funny. Cause that sounds exactly like Chawa. Um, I remember how, uh, she came up with the pocket to me open mic night that she does. Um, what is it? She does it. Well, they just started it back up again so it's a a BIPOC open mic night called pocket to me and I think this was a phoenix zine fest I was doing like a panel for BIPOC people and I called it POC talk like POC talk and then ever since I was like talking about it with her she's like pocket to me so then like she just would always bring it up because that's all she would think about so then I guess that's how she came up or that's why she named um the open mic night the BIPOC open mic night palabras does is pocket to me which is funny this is Mary Hope I have a really good memory from the very first pocket to me you were wearing, uh, I, were you both wearing berets or at least you were wearing berets? Yes, it was very re retro and beatnik and everything. <laughs> and it was just absolutely perfect, the two of you up there introducing the very first pocket to me. It, it was a hoot. It was not in a good way. It was a blast is what it was. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, Ch when Chawa asked me to be part of the pocket to me. Uh, event and just be like a co-host I was just kind of like sure like I don't really know what to say I remember we were so awkward at the beginning of pocket to me like and now like she's really comfortable with it it seems and now she has a new co-host which is really great and um yeah just seeing last night's pocket to me I was only there for about 20 minutes but it was it was really great I heard I think Natalie Diaz did a new poem um, from what I heard, I heard it was really good. And now I'm like sad I missed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, pocket to me is great. Um, yeah. Just briefly, that's where I first heard Chawa read that poem, America, you've got a lot of work to do. Um, and yeah, it totally struck me. So, um, yeah, pocket to me. I'm so glad that it's back. Yeah, that's true. That's where I also heard Chawa first read the America poem. And I actually have that zine with me right now. And it's part of one of my, I wanted to use it as one of my giveaways. And this is actually a perfect episode to use it as a giveaway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to, of course, going to use one of uh, Mary's candle collages. We've had a giveaway with your candle before, so we'll probably do it again for this episode. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So my next question is, on your website, under approach, you mention, we do not use social media and we exclusively use free software to design our books, website, and ephemera. Could you describe why you don't use so social media and and why you exclusively use free software? Sure. Um, 
I swear, I will not keep talking. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I when I was first sort of putting stuff together and trying to think of like, what do you put on a website? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I I don't know. I haven't made a website. I hadn't done a publishing project like this before. Um, and so, yeah, that felt important for me to mention because I feel like it's just sort of a given or standard. Well, of course, like that's one of the first things you have to make your social media and you have to do that. I personally have never found a way to engage with social media that feels healthy for me. Um, and so I haven't used it in my personal life for quite some time now. Um, and so, yeah, at the start of this, I was trying to think, well, do I create a social media account for this? Clearly there's a lot of advantages, right? You, spread the word more easily. You can make connections with people who you didn't know. There, there's a lot to be said for the power of social media, especially for projects like this that are all about amplifying voice. Um, on the other hand, though, there are a lot of people I know for whom social media in relation to creative projects ends up being an absolute bloodsucker. They're so drained by it. It you know, they know that they have to post, they're, they're trying to create things, they're trying to stay on top of the accounts and sync things and schedule stuff. And I, yeah, I mean, I felt like just trying to sidestep all of that and say all of the energy for this project will be put into the books. All of the energy will be put into the relationship with the authors. Mm -hmm. All of the energy will be put into, you know, all these questions of design that go outside of just what is the book like going to look? What is the book going to look like in your hand? But also, how does it sort of live in in communication or in relationship to who that author is, and you know, other parts of their life that aren't about what they wrote? Um, and so, yeah, that was sort of the feeling. It's a project that's locally based and locally focused, and I have a lot of trust in the fact that things will circulate and we will be reaching people, and new people will be reading our work. Um, and so, yeah, it's slow. I mean, <laughs> we're not a big, we're not a big operation and that's okay. One of my favorite bands is called Night Mom and they used to say, we're as famous as we want to be. That's sort of how I feel about this. <laughs> we're as famous as we want to be. Um, and then as to the, f using free software, a big part of Fuck If I Know has to do with accessibility and publishing. So on as many axes as many axes as we can think about. And so part of that is that all of our books have some digital component or digital version that is free. Most of them have free audio versions as well. Um, and the idea is, I think, like we want to make stuff that's really cool. And also we want to make something that's replicable. If somebody else decides they want to learn how to make our book, we want to be able to say, here, let's show you how to make our book. You know, you don't need to download InDesign. You don't need a subscription to such and such design software. Here's free tools that you can use to create work that's beautiful. So that's part of it. We do use platforms like Facebook and Instagram to advertise Fuck If I Know Book events, like when there's a book launch or if we do um, something like Bocalage 1.0. Um, then, then those things are, 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 are done on Zoom. And then, then people who, who, who watch them um, share them on those platforms. But, it's, but that's our only relationship with, with social media. Um, I would just add to, I was just going to mention Zoom is about the only media that we've used um, especially during this last year of quarantining. And it's, a, it's an example of technology serving us to bringing us together and uh, allowing us to engage with people. Um, but we're all, um, in terms of what Ryan, how, how well he described the energy that social media can drain from creating and from relationships, um, I couldn't have said it better. So, yeah. Thank you, Ryan. You want to add to that? Just one quick thing is, I, I think also there's a lot of trust that if there's something that we need, somebody in our community probably has access to it and they'll be willing to share that. And so, for instance, Fuck If I Know Books does not have a paid Zoom account. We don't have, you know, a social media account of our own. 
But when it comes to advertising our events, certainly friends and some of us have social media, and so we'll share things that way. Um, and you know, we have a friend who does have access to a paid Zoom account via their job, and they say, "Sure, you can use our account." And so I think there's, yeah, I think it comes down to trust that there will be what we need if we look to our community, that we don't have to have it all ourselves. Yeah, that's really great. And I, oh, social media fatigue is real. <laughs> yeah. And I've just had, you know, sometimes I see friends that overload on like content and then, you know. And then I, I realized they've been gone for like four months and I'm like, oh no, where did they go? Are they okay? And, you know, and it's something I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about or like really share too much, even on social media about how fatigue, you know, from feeling like you have to always be constantly updating or constantly sharing stuff. And yeah, I, I really like that you, that you all pointed that out. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the next question is actually for Claudia. And um, I noticed in your bio, it says you are a bookseller. What is the role of a bookseller? If you prefer not to answer, what are you currently writing? Thanks so much for asking me this question about being a bookseller. And for the extra space to think about it. Um, and see how it all is tying in with with our conversation um, because um, it's been interesting to think about particularly now that I haven't been doing it for um, about a year it's something that came to a stop with the pandemic and um, I have not resumed that job but for over 11 years I worked or have worked as a bookseller I've been a bookseller at my local independent bookstore in my community in South Tempe um, my community where I live I mean where I've lived for a long time and um, so I've had the the pleasure of working at my local bookstore, Changing Hands Bookstore in South Tempe, and um, working and living in the same community to me has been important, and um, it just allows me more chances to engage with my own community, to appreciate it more, um, to not have to go very far for anything I need and just to yeah live a little bit more slowly and closer to home um working in a bookstore and surrounded by books and book people um many hours a day is just a wonderful thing um i enjoy and um even when i'm not a bookseller i have always been and will be and will continue to be always a customer of my local independent bookstores. And um, I cannot say enough uh, about how important that is for us to all support our community bookstores. And we're lucky in Phoenix to have bookstores like Changing Hands and like Palabra's Bilingual Bookstore. And I hope the community never fails them um, because it's the community that loses, that becomes impoverished uh, without an, an independent bookstore. An independent bookstore is such an important place for the community. And so um, been a big part of my life and really enriching and rewarding on a personal level because I've met so many wonderful people um, that I've gotten to work with and become friends with and friends for life beyond working together or not. Um, but books brought us together. Uh, you know, uh, people on uh, participating in all, you know, 
parts of the book cycle, you know, <laughs> readers, booksellers, authors, um, um, publishers, you know, because doing events or, or, um, or doing storytelling or, or helping customers find books or anything that you do as a bookseller it is an interaction. It's, it's very cool. And so um, it's a job that I really appreciate uh, learning to do and having or having had or having in my life. Um, and it being a book-related life, uh, I keep finding other connections, and thus I also expanded my the different kinds of books I enjoy reading, changed over time, more so from being a bookseller, probably, just being exposed to more books that way, and, um, you know, becoming more attuned or interested in other kinds of books, and so that might have been poetry, for example, and then that led me to, to being um, introduced to Cardboard House Press when they set up shop in Phoenix, which was a wonderful thing, and then joining the Cartonera, and then meeting Ryan and Mary Hope and continuing to find book-related activities at a community, local level, it all ties in. It all ties in for me. And they are all aspects of things that I feel are really important to encourage um, in the community because they enrich us. And um, we're lucky to participate in these things. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really great to hear. And just how, like, a bookstore has, like, changed, you know, your life so much. And, like, just meeting so many new people. And I feel the same way with, like, Palabras. And, like, you know, if it wasn't for Palabras, I wouldn't have met, like, any of you in this office right now. And I always hear about the art installation that um, inspired Chawa to open the bookstore. And it's great to hear more, like, um, more perspectives of, of it. And, yeah, it's it's very inspiring. And I love hearing about, like, all the different um, parts of, like, books and bookstores. And, like, even I don't really know too much about translation work. It sounds like... It's, I mean, it's obviously very important, but it's, like, exciting to, like, meet people that translate and, like, hear more about their perspectives. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to move on to the next question, and it's for Mary. So, Mary, uh, you have become one of my collage heroes. <laughs> and um, if you know me, I make zines, and I also love making collages. Uh, could you tell us how you got into collages or what your collage process is like? Thank you, Amber. I'd be happy to. I want to I make a, a, a comment about something that Claudia said first and then something that Ryan said. Palabras and the uh, Cartonera Collective have been about finding community for me, too. Uh, I moved here to Phoenix in 2010. And it wasn't until 2018 that I felt like I'd found my community. And I've been thriving ever since. I was struggling before then. And it was like, do I stay in Phoenix? Do I leave Phoenix? And now I don't want to leave Phoenix. And that Where has, were you before? I was living in um, uh, up on the northern California coast, about 80 miles south of the Oregon border. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was working at, a, at Humboldt State University. I had a... a position with a federally funded program that helped students who would be the first in their families to go to college and how I got here is is a uh, well I got here because of SB 1070 mm -hmm. so <laughs> that's that's how that's how Arizona got on my radar and then when um and then experiences I had with the uh, uh immigrant community in Arcata California which is the town that I lived in 
moved me to come here and and become involved with the political activities and the organizing that was going on then. Yeah, so and then the other the other comment I wanted to make was about not using social media and 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 how um, in the spirit of, of Cartonera, um, it's about de- democratizing resources so that no one person or entity has control over everything, but the community contributes to the growth and the well-being of what they're doing together. So you've heard of do- DIY, which is do it yourself. It's DIT. It's like do it together. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So back to back to collage, <laughs> or, or forward to collage. Um, I started working on. I started doing collage in the early '70s, and I was inspired by Essence magazine, which was brand new. Uh, it was 1970, 1971, and I was just enthralled with all the the photographs and the images of all these amazing-looking black people. <laughs> And it was different from Ebonine. It was different from Jet. It was just, it was like the next evolution in, in African-American-based magazines. And so I, I was just enthralled with the images. And so I started, I started subscribing and collecting and, and um, eventually made um, three collages. Two were about the size of a large poster board, and I put those on the wall. And then, I don't know how I came by it, but a piece of plywood that later became a, a coffee table top. I <laughs> I collaged the entire top of that table, and then, you know, put a finishing coat on it so so that so that we could put food and drinks and whatever on top of it. And and I've done it off and on, but I always come back to it. Okay. And it's um the process for me is is very mystical. It, it's it's probably the most mystical thing I do. It's better than going to church. <laughs> Maybe the only thing better is like walking in the redwoods. But it's just a very it's just a very it's a very mystical is the best word I can think of. And there's something about handling paper and scissors and adhesives and and and. And uh, that there's just it's transporting. It just sort of takes me away. It takes me away, and time stops, or or I don't notice it's moved until I stop. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I come to a project with intention, and sometimes it changes <laughs> in in midstream, or or I never know where it's going to go. And I like that. And I like being able to to give into the process and just let it take me wherever it's going to take me. And um, when in 2014, was it 2014? No, it was 20. It was 2018, I guess. I guess about that about the same time that I was finding community and, and and remembering that I could do artistic things and flourish. I was moved by the crisis with unaccompanied minors. Um, at the border, and I started making the Border Lights candle series, mm-hmm. which were the first sets of candles that Palabra um, so kindly gave a home to in the bookstore. And so that that's, that's I can't remember which phase this is, but that's the newest iteration of coming back to collage. And I've been fortunate since um, since then to have my work published in Collage Magazine and Superstition Review and Harpy Hybrid Review, which is very affirming, and uh, that and the fact that the candles sell well too. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I use money from the sale of candles to help with other things instead of you know putting it in my pocket. and And I like doing that with, and I've done that over the years with my art um, in its various forms, and like donating it to silent auctions for community for for community needs and stuff and that's that's really satisfying to me that that's better that's the bottom that's my bottom line yeah Yeah, so so um I I think I'll be doing collage for quite a while and it's and and it fills in when I it's it 
you know how soil has to lie fallow so it can be re-nourished? So collage and beadwork are like the nourishment that turns the fallow soil rich again so that I can start writing again. So it's all connected. And I don't have to say, oh, I'm not writing. It's like I can say, I'm doing beadwork. I'm making collage. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to share one quick thing about Mary Hope's collages that are, I mean, they're beautiful. If Thank you haven't you. seen them, search them out. They're on the internet. You can find them. And then you can also write to us and we'll send you pictures. Um, <laughs> but also the the second volume, so there's this beautiful you know, moment with Chawa creating the first volume of Fuck If I Know books. The second volume was with Mary Hope and it was a, a, a collection that was a combination of poetry and collage. I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but... Um, I think there's something special about that project because they were collages that had been in a folder for 25 years. So, you know, a quarter century sort of waiting that fallow period, so to speak. But now they're a book that you can read and look at. Um, Ryan is talking about nuclear waste, which is available for free on the Fuck If I Know books um, website. It's also for sale in the Cartonera edition which is an eight and a half by 11 cardboard cover book that's available here at Palabras. And, and Ryan just tweaked, uh, redid the design. And so I have a now, I don't know what size it's not. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not a full half size zine. It's sort of somewhere in between, yeah. but I like the shape of it. Yeah. And so it, now it has a, a, another iteration and the poems and the collages, um, uh, came from a project that I started after my father died, and we had a very problematic relationship. And I took one of his musical theory books. He used to play piano. And I started, I turned it into an art book. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. But I collaged the cover and every single page in the book with my feelings. And then the poems had been written over time, uh, and then some simultaneously with the with the art book, and and I even entered some of those the collage images in in a bookmaking contest, and I had no idea what I was doing. But I figured, oh, book contest, let me try this. It wasn't accepted, <laughs> but I still have all that material. And then Ryan and Raquel came over. I think it was in September of twenty. 19 and and I said um I think I want to do a book (laughs) 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 and Ryan goes hell yeah (laughs) and so I showed them what I had and there's this picture on the fuck if I know books webpage that shows me and Raquel on our hands and knees on the on the on the living room floor with all this stuff spread out and it, it's a great picture. I'm so glad you took that picture. So, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, do you do you remember like a, a certain age when you started collaging? Like, like you remember like yes, this is like what I love, and like I because I I think I remember I was about hmm. 16 when I started collaging and I didn't even know like what I was doing at the time like is I thought it was just like journaling and like because I've always had journals since I was I don't even know six or five or something and you know I've always kept my journals and but like the more I look through them the more I start to realize that like oh this is collage like I was doing collage you know I started when I was like 16 and you know that was in just the idea of like the bedroom culture like that's what I was doing and I didn't realize you know it was like a culture or that it was like even like an art like I thought I was just like copying and pasting things and like you know just doing what I like and then writing things and um so that's like that's kind of what I remember as a teenager is like when I started collaging but I didn't know it was like collaging or like zine like um like the beginning like steps of like starting a zine mm-hmm. um do you remember like what age or a moment yep. 
I do remember I was in my early 20s before I started doing collage. When I was younger, I loved paper dolls and coloring books, puzzles, kaleidoscopes, <laughs> uh, the Viewmaster viewer. You know, I'm, I'm a very visual person and I would call, I think I'm a colorist, but I don't know how to draw. <laughs> and, and collage is the perfect thing for that. And uh, I, I think I embroider too because um, you can use you can use transfers. You don't have to draw anything. But I'm a colorist, so I I, I just I love um, bringing the the color to life. And uh, same with beadwork. Yeah. 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 Wow, we have so many similarities. Yeah, it's funny because people are like, I remember in my MFA program, they're like, "Why do you write? Why are you a poet?" And, like, the only answer I could say was, like, because I can't draw. <laughs> or I don't know how to draw. Otherwise, like, I feel like that's, like, something I, I would put, like, all my energy into if I knew how to draw. But because I can't draw, like, I try to find all these other outlets to, like, get out what I'm feeling. Whether it's, like, collage, zine, writing, poetry. Um, even, like, bookmaking. Like, I, you know, that's that's something that's, like that helps like whatever is like inside me that needs to get out that I wish I could just like draw it, but I can't. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely feel very much, um, the same way. All I have to say is I'm waiting for the zine where it's both your drawings. That's what I want to <laughs> see. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't draw at all. That's funny. All right. Um, okay, so second to last question is for Ryan. Could you tell us what projects you are currently working on? Oops. Thanks. Um there's sort of a mix of things. I feel like there's always a mix of things um, recently, and I feel really grateful for that. I think, a, honestly, a big part of all the projects I have going on in either direct or indirect ways have to do with Claudia and Mary Hope. Um, there's some collaborative translation projects that we're working on together right now, which are just energizing and exciting and also unscripted. We don't know exactly how they're going to emerge and sort of where they're going to land. We're, we're translating a collection of poems by um, our friend Miriam's partner, whose name is Muela, and that has been really exciting. Um, and we're translating that, yeah, I don't know exactly when, but we're sort of starting now. Um, and then we're also co-translating a collection of poems by uh, a poet from Argentina named Tamara Grosso, um, who Claudia met uh, this past year um, and participated in a translation celebration event that we put on last September called Bocalage, Collage Mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, th those are two collaborative translation projects that I'm really looking forward to and are sort of right at the beginning stages in terms of... Um, more individual translation projects, although still collaborative because these are the people who give me energy and who often, <laughs> you know, will brainstorm different snaggles and talk through options. But yeah, I'm working on um, translating some portions of a big decade-long project by a poet named Yashkin Melchi, mm -hmm. who's from Mexico, but currently lives in Japan and is researching <laughs> well we had a noise outside we're not sure what it was that was for Yashkin. Uh, <laughs> it was a it was a wonderful scream for yashkin um yeah yashkin's just a really incredible poet and somebody who yeah i look up to a lot both in terms of you know the types of work that he produces the things he's exploring but also the type of ethic he has around community-based publishing um and sort of extending notions of eco-poetics out from the poems and into, you know, relationships with other poets and, you know, with the community, etc. So 
in any case, I, I'm translating some portions of his, uh, his like a decade-long project called El Nuevo Mundo, The New World, and I'm translating the first book called The New World One, and the second book called Poems I Saw Through a Telescope, and then I'm sort of queuing up to start working on the third book, which is called uh, El Sol Verde, so Green Sun. I'll stop there. Yeah, those are some things going on. I'm excited about them. <laughs> Very cool. And so the projects that you're working on with, um, so some of these are with Fuck If I Know books, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say Fuck If I Know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was going to say if they, they would be available on the Fuck If I Know website or. Um, it sort of remains to be determined. Um, if they don't show up on the Fuck If I Know website, um, There'll certainly be other places. It's also possible to show up on a website called nogoodhome.com. That's another sort of publishing project I've been working on that isn't geographically specific. Fuck if I know is, you know, it's full heart and everything has to do with Phoenix. Um, and so, yeah, it sort of remains to be seen. But at the very least, it is a fuck if I know project because or these are fuck if I know projects because we're working on them together. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things is there's, you know, the more directed work of publishing these books and, you know, making them together and sharing them. But there's also the work of just being in community with each other. And this has been, for everyone, a really disorienting and terrible time, <laughs> the last stretch here. Um, and yet it's also been a time when I have felt like extremely reassured by the type of connection that's been made possible for me through this type of stuff with Claudia and Mary Hope, and I'm just like beyond grateful for the ways that that, yeah, that connection is possible even in times where it is so hard to find hope and so hard to, to find and maintain and grow community, all of that. Thank you for that. Um, all right, so we are at our last question, and... So the last question is, what are y'all reading? I don't know if anyone wants to go first. Yeah, this is Claudia. I'm happy to go first. Um, I always have something to read because of the Spanish book group. <laughs> um, we have been meeting, you know, for 15 years, and we have we haven't missed a month yet where we have a a, a book uh, we we pick a a book for every month and then meet on the third Thursday um to talk about it and exchange our impressions um and so and we the mission of our book group which we call La Tertulia informally we refer to it as La Tertulia which is like a salon or um is our mission is just to read untranslated literature in Spanish from Spain, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Ecuador, wherever we can get books published in, in Spanish where we can get them here reasonably. And um, so this month we're reading a, a part of a trilogy by Eva Baltasar, and she's from Spain, and the title of this volume, which is the second one, is Boulder, and her writing is new to probably most of us in the group. It's new to me, and I'm loving it, loving it already. And um, if I may, just I wanted to make sure that I answered your question beforehand because um, I think I left a little part out. Um, I mentioned I've been a bookseller for 11 years at Changing Hands Bookstore in Tempe, but since the pandemic... I have not been back to work at the bookstore, and I want to make sure that's clear. I go in to pick up my book selection, see some of my friends. There's been a lot of change, as you can imagine, through any business because it had to be closed for several months. And um, the time for me has been um, just a well of wonderful time to work on my own translation projects. Mary Hope and Ryan give me so much fuel and um, so one of part of your question that I forgot to answer was also if I'm what am I writing if I'm writing and th 
working with Mary Hope and with Ryan, I'm feeling more encouraged to go into my notebooks, pull stuff out that still today seems interesting to me, see if I can do something with that and put it together. As of now, I really enjoy translation and collaborative translation and reading, but I'm encouraged to to share some of my writing too. And I just but I wanted to make sure that I answered your question um truthfully and completely. And so I will pass on now back to what we're reading um to whoever wants to go next. Mary um, I'm the neophyte translator in the group, <laughs> and Ryan and Claudia are my mentors, and they're great, and they gave me the courage to do it. Um, so lately I've been reading bilingual Spanish-English chapbooks and pamphlets, things published by Ugly Duckling Press and Tripwire, and uh, with wonderful titles like Say Translation is Art and Translation is a Mode, equals translation is an anti-neocolonial mode and, and, and uh, attending Zoom presentations that are about experimental translation, like taking it way outside the box, like to some other planet, which is absolutely invigorating. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like hard to settle down after some of, yeah. some of these, these lectures. And some of, the, some of the books that I've been reading are also trilingual, like there's one book, I think it's by Ugly Duckling, where that's it's Spanish, English, and one of the indigenous languages of Guatemala. Is that correct? I think it's Guatemala. I think so, yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, um, so translation is my world right now. Translation and collage. The beadwork's on hold until I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just want to echo all of that. I've been reading much of the same stuff as Mary Hope. And in large part, that's because we've been sharing a lot of books, the three of us. I, like, yeah, I feel like everything that's come into any of our worlds has been cycled through all of our worlds. And so, it, yeah, it feels exciting to not just be working on collaborative publishing projects like this, collaborative translation projects, but also collaborative reading. And to have that not, I mean, this is the most informal of book groups, but it feels more nourishing than any sort of like book group type of thing I've participated in. And I think in large part, that's because it feels so divorced from anything academic or stifling. It's just, we're following our noses and reading things that are giving us life and sharing in that life, sharing in that joy. Um, of encountering stuff that makes us feel alive. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful. So these new pamphlets that have been coming out um, from Ugly Duckling and Tripwire have really been fantastic. One, one of them that you didn't mention the name of is the most recent Tripwire pamphlet called um, Toda la, Todas las Cajas Están Vacias, or All the Boxes Are Empty, written by Sarah Uribe and translated by J.D. Pluker. And that, yeah, whoa. I've been getting a lot from that, rereading it. <laughs> Say translation is art, feels like a prayer. Um, yeah, I've been going back also and reading stuff um, by this collective called Antenna Aire that is, has been a decade-long collaboration between Jen Eliana Hoffer and J.D. Pluker. Um, it has various different branches, won't go into all of that here, but they just announced that that collaboration is sort of coming to an end but it feels like a transition that allows for a lot of celebration for what the last 10 years from 2010 to 2020 have been and the types of things that it's made possible for a lot of people far removed from them. My, you know, I'm one of them. I've gotten quite a lot from what they've shared. And so I've been going back and reading some of their older stuff and just grateful that they put it out there and make it available. Thanks. Even though I said that was the last question, now I have like another question. Okay, so this is my last question. Um, how did all of you get into translating? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. 
I'm happy to start out because I probably, yeah, maybe I, I got into it earlier than than you guys. And it was just, I think it's funny because I grew up bilingual. I'm a, a first generation born here in the U.S. My family from forever is from Chile. By that, I mean my parents and their parents and as far back as I know. Um Although I'm sure before the Guerra del Pacifico, my grandmother was on the other side, so she was probably Bolivian until they changed the borders and then she was Chilean. But that's a different story. Um, <laughs> and so being bilingual when I was in Chile, um, it was very, as anywhere, speaking more than one language anywhere is useful, right? So it was a way to um, to to... To, to do some work while I was going to school um, to learn something about television production and direction, um, one of my professors, who was a director, asked me if I could translate and put subtitles on the videos he was putting together. And it was they were MTV, MTV videos in the 80s. So I like to tell that story because it was fun. I was going to the university and studying history, but my job was going to the TV station and putting subtitles on MTV videos and songs. And so it was kind of like the best of both worlds. Yeah. I could be serious and playful. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, that's, that's my funny start. Actually, I've been translating longer <laughs> than I realized. <laughs> and, um, and uh, I've come to this realization because I've, I've been applying for a number of positions here and there, trying to get uh, to be doing work that I'm paid for so that I can continue doing the work that I don't care whether I get paid for or not. <laughs> and so my, my first introduction to translation was actually as an undergraduate in the 60s at San Diego State when I started studying Greek and Latin. And the only way to study Greek and Latin is to translate them. <laughs> I mean, they, they aren't spoken languages. And I fell in love with, with, um, with um, I didn't realize that I had fallen in love with the process, but I, but I did. I just, I, I couldn't wait for the next homework assignment. And that led me to studying linguistics in graduate school. And then when I was in Arcata, I mentioned Arcata before, where I moved, but before I moved here, uh, I was able to take... Um, because of because I was a, an employee and over 50, I was able to take um, classes at the university at a at, at a at a, an amazingly reduced uh, fee. Mm -hmm. I and um, so I started taking Spanish classes, and um, again, and um, one of my uh, Spanish teachers asked me to to translate a presentation she was giving in Berlin that summer. And I had, I had forgotten about that. But it's like, and, and I got a translation credit for it. <laughs> Not through school, but like in the brochure, you know, oh, okay. for, the, for, the, for the conference yeah. in Berlin. And I mean, I get a rush thinking about it, <laughs> about it now. And then I don't know how I came to, I, I just said, I know how I started translating again. I said, I want to translate. <laughs> I think I said that. I think I said that to to Ryan. I don't remember the exact context, but it's like I want to translate, and so I started translating again. So it's yeah. th the most recent phase is 2018 to the present. Yeah, huh. <laughs> yeah I absolutely remember that when you're like, I want to start translating, <laughs> and then I guess maybe the implied was again, but we didn't know that yet. No, um, but <laughs> it, it had not fallen into place. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I really remember that. And then I remember when through Fuck If I Know Books, we were working on 4M, which was this project last year that included, you know, four different writers, two writing in English, two in Spanish, and then the whole thing translated sort of bi-directionally. Um, originally, Claudia and I were sort of going to be collaboratively translating the stuff in conversation with each of the authors, one of whom was Mary Hope. But Mary Hope at the start said, hey, I want to translate. Mm -hmm. I said, awesome. Yeah. But, you know, so then Mary Hope got folded into and actually took the lead on several of those translations. And um, yeah, I don't, to me, that just points to a lot of what my story with translation has been as well, that there's this myth 
I think, of the expert Mm -hmm. and this myth that you need to be, you know, this language wizard to be able Mm -hmm. to do translation. And so I think that is something that stops a lot of people from feeling like it's okay for them to try or for them to do it or to recognize that they already are doing it. We do it in so many contexts in ways that I think, like you were saying, Mary Hope, if we're taking an experimental or an expansive view of what translation might be, all of us have been doing it in different ways all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I had done some translation of various stuff in school when I was younger, but hadn't really thought of it as such. And the first time I was sort of thinking, oh, translation um, was when I was learning Spanish. And I remember feeling like I wanted to start working on translating some poems um, because I wanted something that was sort of private, something that I could work on that wasn't homework, that wasn't evaluated, that wasn't graded. It was an opportunity to sit with all of these words and take my time and rifle through, or, you know, <laughs> go and look through dictionaries and play with different options and try and get a better sense of the contours of the words and the contours of, you know, the differences between similar words. Um, And so, yeah, translation for me was a way to learn the language that I was engaging Mm -hmm. with rather than a result of me already having learned it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, anywhere and anyhow I can, I want to advocate for, uh, for translation, especially translation in community that, um, that honors the ways we already have been translating and rejects whatever this myth of an expert is that stops us from feeling like we're translators. That's really interesting. Now all like the little like wheels in my head are like turning. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause like, um, you know, I'm Danae and, and my father, like that's his first language is Danae. And, uh, I never learned and my brother never learned. And, Cause that's just kind of what we're taught. Like, um, our parents are taught not to carry the, or pass the language down because of, you know, boarding school and like you're taught it's easier to assimilate. So my dad never taught us, but he recently retired and he's been like, he's been really loving his like retirement right now. Mm-hmm. And then, but he, I think he, he's the type of person that always likes to be doing something. So like, I think he's thinking of like finding a part-time job just to do something, you know, for part of the day. And I mentioned to him, like, have you thought of taking like Navajo classes? Like maybe you can like, um, learn how to like, like he can speak it and that's his first language, but he can't write it. And most, a lot of, um, like Navajo speakers, if it's their first language, a lot of them can't write it because, you know, we're, we're an oral, um, the, the language pa- was passed down orally and not passed down through, like, written um, words. So that's something that, like, I've been asking him <laughs> if he, if he uh, would ever take, like, a, a class where he can, like, learn how to write it. And that's, like, something that I would really love to, like, possibly work on, like, a project with him. Like, if he ever takes classes and then maybe we can, like, do something, some type of translation um, book together through our, through my press, but that's just kind of like one of those dreams, I guess, but (laughs) yeah. Um, but yeah, like this, this has been such a great interview and I feel like really inspired by all of you and, you know, you're, all of you are bookmakers, artists, uh, and translators. So like, I feel kind of, uh, what's the word? A little intimidated. Cause like, I'm the only one that knows one language, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it, this has been great. And I, I'm really thankful that you came here to my office and, you know, just hung out for an hour to do this interview and yeah. And, oh, and so for all of the books that we were talking about with fuck, if I know books, all of them are on the website on the fuck, if I know website and um there are some audio clips with some of them yeah, i believe them, all oh of them have audio except for chawas okay um, but hopefully soon <laughs> yeah so yeah all of the books um are available online on the fuck if i know website and all of them have audio versions attached to them as well except for chawa maganya's um america 
you've got a lot of work to do. For some reason, I want to say America, you got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> or that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for, for doing this me. interview. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> a big thank you to Ryan, Mary, and Claudia for their stories and experiences with creating community in bookmaking and translating. You can find their books and words at ficbooks.org, and that is F-I-I-K books, B-O-O-K-S dot org. And they provided us with a writing prompt for April. The writing prompt is, the co-conspirators at Fick Books call themselves book farmers. Imagine you are a non-human inhabitant of a small organic farm. You can choose to be the soil, a seed, a start, a weed, a non-plant being that lives in the soil, a vegetable, an herb, a fruit tree, a flower, a winged thing, the sky above, the rain that falls, the sun that shines, the greenhouse, the compost bin, pile, vermicompost, a farming tool, machinery, the irrigation system. Be wildly imaginative. Then write a poem about what you are, your role slash responsibility on the farm, and what life is like where you live. And if you would like to see this writing prompt in writing, <laughs> you can go to www.abalonemountainpress.com and um, you can just click on the podcast uh, link and it will take you to uh, the writing prompt. And then it would also show a picture of our writing prompt giveaway items. And a few of those items are going to be the zine that we were talking about Um by Chawa Maganya and a candle by Mary Hope Lee. Um, and we're just going to have a few more goodies and it's, it's going to be a fun giveaway like always. And I just want to give a shout out to our winner last month, um, Ethan Lee Robbins. And they did a beautiful poem called the lizard sun lizards sunflower that was dedicated to their grandmother and um, that's up on our website as well and I also forgot to mention our February writing prompt winner in our last um, episode and that was Kahala Mar and they did a writing prompt on um, a mural missing and murdered indigenous women's mural and their response to the mural and their um, uh, their their experiences and something that they think of with the mural um, as a native woman. So those um, are actually on our website, and you can view those. And we'll see you next time. Keep writing. Keep healing. Theme song is Summer Cactus by Colorful King, and closing theme song is Club Poet by Colorful King. You can find more of their music at soundcloud.com slash colorfulking, and I will see you next month. Bye!